Blog Talk Radio. Of the year, 
or four falls or the elite eight, but I got these short. So, but the big thing is, uh, last night I, I initially thought that I broke my finger, you know, it, it, but, uh, I think it's just a hyperextension. I can't straighten it out right now. So that's putting me on the IR. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be day to day. Man, is this on the shooting hand or non-shooting hand? It's on the shooting hand, too. And the thing was, I was just checking it up. I, you know, I want to give a big story like I was, you know, I was dunking on somebody and I hit my finger on the rim. But I was just checking yeah. it up and and just casually put my hand out there. And then I knew, you know, you, you kind of know as soon as you jam your finger, you know, what what you got going on. I said, oh, man, and, and that was that was a little rough, but uh, I'm not quite done yet. I thought I was going to be retired, but I'll, I'll get back out there soon enough. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you know, <laughs> do like Vince Carter. Do like Vince Carter. Keep going. You know, he's he's 41 like us. He's still got a few well, more games left in the tank, so same for us. Yeah, and, and that's that's my whole thing. As long as Vince is still going, because you know he, like you said, he he is our age and he is still uh, still getting it done. And you know, my thing is, is he as high flying as he used to be? No, but is he still going out there, having a good time, contributing, and 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 doing something he loves? Absolutely, I've got zero problem with that. Play as long as you can, because once you you know hang it up, that's it. So I've, I've got zero problem with that, and, and Vince is my inspiration. Yeah, and, you know, he gets to mentor Trey Young, some of those other young Hawks. Uh, he'll still sneak him in a couple dunks or two uh, and give it to, you know, goose in the motorcycle like he does, and, you know, patented celebration. So, yeah, he, it's – look – he could be a lot worse out there. He's, he's not embarrassing himself. You know, and, you know, we all <laughs> hate to bring it up. We've seen the Willie Mays clip at the Mets, you know, Joe Namath staying too long. He's not at that point. He's still playing at a at a nice level to be 41 years of age. He's on a bad team, uh, but he's still bringing a lot to the table, imparting his years of knowledge in the NBA to those guys. And, and it'll stick with them when they become veterans and start passing along what they know. And and not to get uh, sidetracked, but Vince Carter has got to be on the short list of, of best all-time dunkers, right? He, he's got to be in-game, out-of-game. He's got to be on your short list of guys that you would pay money to watch dunk, right? From his North Carolina days to all through the NBA, he he's on that list, right? Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Oh, um, the 2000 dunk contest alone, uh, say the dunk contest. I would, I, I would even go as far as to say that, um, because it, it just infused life back into the event, and we love it. But it was kind of stale in you know, 97, 98, 99, and we've seen everything there is to see. What he did out there in Oracle in Oakland that night, you know, it's, it's hard to believe it's been 18 years ago. But it it was that impactful. It was that memorable. In-game dunks, unbelievable. My favorite one is where he was out, almost probably to the coach's box, you know, the, the line where the coach is supposed to be. 
went behind his back on the guy, and we all know Alonzo Mourning, relentless shot blocker, went after everything. You know, whether he got it or not, you your shot was getting contested if Alonzo Mourning was anywhere near you on the court. Alonzo, of course, steps out to meet Vince, and, you know, they, there's contact. And Vince just continues to go on up <laughs> over and through Mourning and, and just cocked it back and dropped a hammer on him. That, I mean, of course we know what he did to Frederick Weiss in the Olympics, but the dunk for me is when he caught Alonzo Mourning from the baseline because I don't know, maybe three or four steps he was there and throwing it down in the blink of an eye. Uh, that's my favorite in-game dunk from Vince Carter. I, I do love the Olympic dunk to go up and over the seven-footer. I mean, that was ridiculous. Uh, I watched a mixtape not too long ago of Vince Carter and all his dunks. I forgot there was one game when he was at North Carolina and Ed Cota, who is one of my favorite collegiate point guards of all time. I know he's a Tar Heel. I got you, you know. But Vince Vince Carter went for like almost 30, and it was all dunk. Like everything was just right at the rim. I mean, Cota was just, you know, from half-court alley-oop and – the thing about Vince is I just – I would put him in the class with Dominique Wilkins, that two guys that from a standstill could just go and get a tip dunk like nobody's business. You know, Preach. I think people understand that Dominique Wilkins, and I'd put him on that list. I, I watched a throwback game of him when he was at Georgia – uh, from 82, it was Georgia, North Carolina. And yeah. he was guarding uh, uh, James Worthy in the post. <laughs> and Worthy yeah. does this turnaround hook, and from a standstill position, just standing there, Dominic Wilkins jumps up and puts his shoulder above the rim and cleanly <laughs> just, like, catches the ball and like in, in, with his hands from, from a from a defensive position, he just jumped straight up to do that. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You know, so I put him up there, too. I know we, I know we segued away, but you, we brought up Vince and, and, and talking about dunkers, and, and those two would probably be on my list of, man, I would pay money to watch those guys dunk. I know Michael and, and all that, I, although I think Michael, uh, MJ, uh, Michael Jordan, Benefited from one dunk dunk contest being in Chicago because Dominique. Let's Preach some more. Preach I mean, some more, Terry. Uh, you know the free throw line dunk is iconic. It's all over the Jumpman logo. I get it, but Dominique Wilkins did the one the the between the legs where he brought it like from from behind himself and then cocked it back over his head. I haven't seen anybody else do that since. Look, I have seen people do the free throw line dunk. I've seen people, you know, stick out their tongue. I haven't seen anybody, not even a Vince Carter, attempt what we saw Dominique Wilkins do in 1987 and 88. So I'm going to leave it at that. I know Dominique is is your guy, but, uh, yeah, those those are my two dunkers. Uh, I put Sean Kemp. On the in-game dunk, uh, in-game dunk yeah. list, 
that one on Alton Lister where he dunks on him and then points at him, and, and, and he's just like, well, hey, you got me. You know, I put him on that list uh, as well. So, <laughs> so nice, nice little segue, but those, those would be my, those would be my uh, dunkers. Definitely. And as always, y'all are more than welcome to call in. The caller number is 845-277-9373. Take a second and let you know that the show is being brought to you by the Smoky Mountain Trader. Graphic design, classified ads, advertising ads, they can take care of all of it. Lynn Earls is the main man down there. He listens to the show, a fan of the show. James and Steve can take care of you as well. 5063, Suite 1, West AJ, Andrew Johnson Highway, Morristown, Tennessee, 37814. 423-587-1700 is the number. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash S-M-K-Y-M-T-N Trader, Smoky Mountain Trader. They can take care of all your needs. In the tri-state area, your source for buying and selling cars, trucks, homes, appliances, uh, in print and online. You can find them in the classified papers. You can find them online on Facebook. On Twitter, same thing, same handles on Facebook. They're the number one red shopper in the Lakeway and tri-state area, found in 12 counties in three states, 12 counties here in Tennessee, Lee County, Virginia, and Bell County, Kentucky, which borders Harlan County right where I grew up. Any of those areas, they'll be more than happy to take care of you. Smoky Mountain Trader. And if you tweet them, if you put a comment on the Facebook page, or if you go in in person, tell them you heard about them on Cats Talk Wednesday with Vinny Hardy and Terry Brown. And if you're not listening right now live, we hate we're missing you, but you can definitely catch us on demand on uh, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Catsbox FM, Stitcher, Player FM, and the TuneIn apps. Search Cast Talk Wednesday. In any of those apps, you can get the show on demand at your convenience. Subscribe to the show, and it'll automatically come to your phone. Each new show that drops will pop up on your device. You won't even have to look for it. It will come to you. Go to iTunes and rate the show, review. Pop down there and give us five stars. Put a comment on there. Uh, if you like the show, we would definitely appreciate all of that. Terry T.B. Brown, we had a couple basketball games on the men's side that happened since we were last on. Uh, Cats stubbed their toe in Tuscaloosa, losing 77-75. Uh, we talked about that a little bit on Sunday. We were on shooting from the lip with Kevin Hale. We just had Kevin on this show a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that, you can go to any of the previous apps that I mentioned, the aforementioned apps, and check out that episode. Now, Kevin actually wasn't there. He had some technical difficulties. We know all about that. I used to produce them abundantly on this show. Uh, Michelle Brown filled in. You and I were on with Michelle. Uh, Carrie Lewis from Girls Beer Sports, who's also been on this show, and she does a great job on that show. And Jeff Picoro from the UK Sports Network also does uh, Reds games. You hear him on the radio with Tom Leeds called UK Football Games. We had a blast talking about UK football with them. We also talked about Kentucky losing to uh, Alabama with them. Uh, and then, of course, we definitely get to them bouncing back last night over Texas A&M. But um, 
it just it just the second half in, in Tuscaloosa it just didn't work out for him. Uh, they weathered Kevin Max Storm. He had twenty in the first half, only finished with twenty two. But as I mentioned Sunday, that, that eight oh run out of the gate kinda of set the tone for Alabama and Kentucky's in a dog fight and came up on the short end against the Crimson Tide. We got you, TV. Yeah, I don't know what happened, but I'll oh, am back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just talking about how Kentucky stubbed the toe a little bit Saturday. Uh, bounced back last night in a weird game. It was it was a, just a weird game last night. But they find themselves at 1-1 one one in SEC, protected home court, got a win in their belt after the setback at Alabama, and now they can get ready for Vanderbilt Saturday. Yeah, the, the Alabama game, you know, people can look at it and, and as a pattern of, uh, you know, Cal since 2015, yada, yada, yada. You know, I've touched on that uh, on Cameron Mills Radio a few times. But I, I think what really did Kentucky in against Alabama was three offensive fouls in the first, you know, four or five minutes of the first or second half. That was when yeah. we decided to collectively become a jump shooting team. And that's not going to get it get it done. That is it. when you've got uh, PJ Washington and Reed Travis uh, in the post, and and you've got guys like Ashton Hagen, how hero that can get to the rim, stand there shooting ten to fifteen foot jump shots. That ain't it. That ain't us. That's not what we do. That's not how we uh, are going to be at our best. So. I think that had more to do with anything with with the team just not uh, not being aggressive. I think those foul calls, and we can debate whether or not they were correct or appropriate or what have you, but I think those foul calls really set the tone for that second half. Now, I am encouraged by the way that you know they looked dead in the water for 15 minutes and made it a game at the end. I think that yeah. is encouraging, but um, you know, I, I think we saw North Carolina, we saw Louisville. Perhaps we all jumped the gun like we did with uh, uh, the Bahamas and say, "Okay, this team has it figured <laughs> out." They still have some things to yeah. iron out. I mean, that's the uh, that's the difference uh, right now between this team and what we kind of expected. You know, I will. Camels Radio, you know this. This is this is a big year for Calipari, and I say that because you know he preaches and preaches and preaches that you know we're going to be ready for a deep tournament run. That that's his thing, and most Kentucky fans understand the process. You know, Cal has talked about the process ad nauseum, and most of us say, okay. We know that come February and March, the team will be ready. So we account for a few head scratchers like Alabama along the way, right? We kind of say, at least that's how I approach it. Okay, we're going to stub our toe, as you said, against Alabama. But we, we know at the end of the year, 
what what to expect, a deep tournament run, you know, uh, a lead eight or better, most of the time that Cal has been here. Well, now here he sits and that vocal minority of Kentucky fans, uh, they don't want to hear that anymore. They feel that since 2015, the program has fallen on hard times. Even though, have you seen what Jamal Murray is doing in Denver, the number one team in the West? Have you seen what De'Aaron Fox is doing in Sacramento, which is, which is amazing? I mean, have you seen what Bam Adebayo has become in Miami? So the talent has been there. You know, the, the reins are off uh, uh, Malik Monk there in Charlotte. You know, he seems to become, have become a favorite of Michael Jordan, which I think is a great endorsement. So, anyway, another year without a Final Four, and I think that vocal minority gets bigger and more vocal. And Cal, you know, after the Louisville game, after the North Carolina game, was a little bit, you know, we saw Swaggy Cal come out. And he was chirping at those people that would chirp, that chirp at him. You know, he, he said that, you know, it's Eric Lindsay that reads all the tweets and all this kind of stuff. But Cal knows. Cal knows yeah. that he, he's got that vocal authority that he has to deal with. And he, if he wants to keep selling, hey, we're going to – not look great in November, not look great in December, but look, the payoff will be there. The payoff has to be there. That's the that's the thing. And I disagree with that mindset because I think college basketball, you can't compare it to what we see in college football and what Nick Saban, even though they lost pretty handily the other night, and I know we'll talk about that, uh, what Nick Saban has done at Alabama it's not an apples to apples comparison. You know, I, I, I've talked about this before. People, the number one complaint with Cal is what? They have more titles. What do you like about Cal? All that talent, he should have more titles. And I say, yeah, that's mm-hmm. fair. But every coach that has coached an extended period of time has had a team or two or three or four that you have to say to yourself, how did that team not win a title? Okay, five NCAA titles. I'm old enough to remember went to eight straight Final Fours, no title. You remember that narrative? Like, will he ever win the big one? That was a narrative. Yeah. You know, you, you look mm-hmm. at Roy Williams. Yes, he's won three, but man, Kansas seems to go like 31 and three every year. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, 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 and not win a title. I mean, the Jacques Vaughn, Paul Pierce, Rafe French team in 97, really? <laughs> that team didn't win? You know, what? So you, you, can look, you can look at every coach. Hello, Adolph Rupp left a few titles on the table. Probably should have won in 66. You know, I mean, when you yeah. look at things like that, so every coach has three or four teams where you're like, how did that team not win it? Dean Smith had Michael Jordan on campus for three seasons and only got one title by a fluke bad pass. Are you kidding me? Every coach. That's not unique <laughs> that's to Cal. Right. That's not, but that's not unique to Cal. John Wooden 
eight in a row, but there were some years that he didn't win, probably should have won. I mean, that's just the way it goes, especially now when uh, we've talked about this with uh, uh, Virginia losing the uh, University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Now you have to play six games in a row. You know, once the term expanded to 64, if you were a top four seed, you could kind of sort of, you got that one game just to get your feet wet. You remember? You know, and then we start seeing four and, you know, five and 12, it's a guarantee going to happen, right? And then four and 13, you'd see one or two of those every year. Well, then, you know, the three in, uh, was it three and 14? Three and 14? Yeah, three and 14. That yeah. game started being competitive. And then 16 started beating two, right? You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think Syracuse went Hampton. down to the two. Right, right. Iowa State went down to Hampton, and we start, and then we started seeing over the years that sixteen-one game. You know, we'd always see the sixteen come out. They'd be like ten to six, and then CBS would try to do the 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 uh, upset tracker. Well, then we started seeing <laughs> that game be more and more competitive into the second half, right? And then finally culminating in last year where Virginia was never in that game. So it's just <laughs> different because you have to play six straight games of focused basketball, hope that you don't have an injury, hope that some fluke thing doesn't happen. You know, I just think we, we try to compare the two, and you can't do that. So anyway, I say all that to say, Cal, the, the pressure is going to be on to get to Minneapolis because if he doesn't, I think that what I never thought was possible, people would turn on John Calipari. The mm. Kentucky faithful, that local mm. minority, is going to have a lot of footing to really be ridiculous this offseason. Wow. And I never <laughs> thought I'd see that. Four, ty- four uh, Final Fours in five years. The list of coaches to achieve that, John Wooden, Coach K, John Calipari. I still don't think we understand how rare of a feat that was. And so I don't think that Cal is doing anything wrong. I think the landscape has changed because now you look at the Trey Youngs, you've got other coaches that are in the one-and-done business, right? That used to be just Cal. I'm old enough to remember when Cal and the one and done was going to ruin basketball. Now everybody and the brothers bringing in one and done. So I think the, the, the college basketball world has caught up to Cal a little bit. You know, for years, the SEC was just Kentucky and whoever else decided to be good and nobody else. And we all said, SEC folks said, hey, you got to be a little bit more competitive. Well, now we got it. Alabama brings in Louis <laughs> Johnson, right? We, we, I mean, the SEC is going to be a murderer's row this year. You know, you and I yeah. talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, my Niners being fortunate enough to play in the NFC West during their heyday with teams that weren't very good. My contention is if the SEC had paid attention to basketball 
as much as football, well, maybe those 14-2 and two, uh, SEC uh, championship Kentucky teams, maybe they'd have a few more losses. Right. The, the league in 2019 is not like it was in 2010, 2011, 2012. It's just not. It's deeper. And people can say, oh, Alabama's terrible. Yeah, Alabama's not a great team, but they're better than they were a few years ago. They're coming along in basketball like we are in football. They're getting better. There's no easy outs on the schedule anymore. No. So not only are everybody Super Bowl, and people Mm -hmm. hate to hear that, but Avery Johnson said after the game, oh, yeah, beating Kentucky is a big deal. We talked about this game. Circle this game because we want to beat Kentucky. And and for everybody that says, oh, Cal says we're everybody Super Bowl, listen to opposing coaches and players after they beat Kentucky. Listen to them. Listen to what they say. Yes, beating Kentucky is a big deal. And the thing is, it's been like that. Watch the Nolan Richardson SEC history about his run at Arkansas. When did he know that? When did he know that he made it at Arkansas? Well, mm-hmm. he beat Kentucky. You know what else? I have five documentaries: Thirty for Thirty, Jalen Rose, Ray Jackson, Jimmy King, Juwan Howard. They're talking about the nineteen ninety three Final Four, and you know what they said. We beat Kentucky in the semifinal and thought we had it in the bag. Weren't worried about North yeah. Carolina. We, are, we had beaten Kentucky. That's what they mm-hmm. said. So people can talk, Cal speak all they want to. They can, Cal, but the bottom line is when people are being honest, they still want to beat Kentucky. It is a big deal. And just like Alabama in football, usually, you beat Kentucky and you play like crap the next game because Alabama got run out of the gym. That's right. The guy that was 20 in the first half had six points last night. Yeah. That's the same thing that happened to yep. Alabama. Ole Miss beats them. Ole Miss gets beat by the school of the line the next game. That's what happened. <laughs> so people can make fun of Cal all they want to about Super Bowl. It's true. When Kentucky comes to your SEC town, it's a big deal. So I've rambled and rambled and rambled, but Cal has got to get this team to the final four, or else the the fan base becomes even more fractured. That's that's my opinion. And I still will go back, and I understand that, you know, having been to the final four since 2015, I get that. I still think it all started and 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 ramped up without us realizing it in twenty thirteen you know you just went in twenty twelve and the the thirst and the urgency to go get nine was like immediately like the the banner for twenty twelve was still swaying in the raptors and hadn't even you know sat motionless yet, we're all right, go get nine, go get nine. I think it started then. And just, look, you know, you can't 
the team and coaches can't get complacent and all that. They got to move on. But the fan base, to me, didn't even savor that long enough. It was your first title since 98. Okay, great. Got eight. Let's go get nine. Go get nine. And to me, that's been the mindset ever since. And it's just been growing and growing and, you know, building. Like, you know, you put more and more dishwashing liquid in the water and the suds just grow and grow and, you know, you know it's overflowing the sink and dripping down onto the floor. Since I mean, as soon as that title was won, it was, oh, got to get nine, got to get nine. And to me, I, I just don't think eight was enjoyed enough. <clears throat> and to your point on some of the stuff you just said, Michigan on beating Kentucky in 93, thinking they had it won, that's a Kentucky team that's in its first Final Four in almost a decade. Hadn't been to the Final Four since 84, mashing them going 93. But yet the Fab Five in them still know what beating Kentucky means. <laughs> you know, Kentucky's <laughs> almost a decade-long streak of not making the Final Four, but yet we got this championship now that we beat Kentucky. We ain't worry about North Carolina. And that was their and, You know, I'm reminded because I've got the the sports illustrators from you know when Kentucky is one. You know, I've got to collect those. If you're out there, go and look at the 1996 Final Four review. It's got uh, Antoine Walker on the cover. And it says Blue Heaven. Uh, Antoine Walker and Kentucky soar to the NCAA title. Reread the write up for that. The lead, the first paragraph in the review of the 76-67 win over Syracuse, the writer says, you know, in Kentucky, where they barely celebrate their championships, they right. see it as a birthright. Mm-hmm. I always thought that that's ridiculous. Because, you know, 1996 was a big deal. First time, you know, in almost 20 years. I just remember that being a very special, but to your point, even with 96, you know, being as great and 97 right back at it, 98 winning again, it's always what's next. It's always what, all right, we got this one. We got to go get the next one. And, And it really is no savoring of anything. I always say, you know, when you look at what any – if you were any other team, you know, and I'm not even saying just a regular – if you were a North Carolina or a Duke or whatever, the 2011 team for Kentucky, that would be hailed as one of your best teams ever. The 2011 team on its own. If you were just about anywhere else in this country, they would be beloved, the 2011 team. We, we we don't think about them really. We don't think about Brandon Knight. People, you know, we would best point guard under Cal. We, we don't think about Brandon Knight at all. You know, there was a somebody, and it might have been the guys at KY Clips. You know, best three point shooter uh, under Cal. Deron Lamb wasn't listed, and he's statistically a fraction above our main man Cameron Mills. Deron yeah. Lamb. Play both point both guard positions 
on a Final Four and a championship team. The leading scorer oh, on a championship team. When Anthony Davis went 0 for 10, guess who picked up the flag? <laughs> Deron Lamb. Mm-hmm. That's Doesn't right. get mentioned. The 2011 team. The 2011 team has been boiled down to George tattooing Sollinger on the chest. That's it. That's like it. Mm-hmm. Okay, the 2012 happens. 2013. 2014 gets boiled down to and it, 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 to, to Aaron Harrison hitting those crazy shots, which is great, which is great. Don't get me wrong, but they I, – I would put them up there with the untouchables as a great underdog story. If you made a sports movie at Disney, and nobody wants to give this to them because, you know, they were all highly rated, that team could have crashed and burned. team could have lost at South Carolina, and things could have gone sideways really, really quick, right? Because 2013, everybody still had NIT on their mind, and we're thinking NIT again. That team could have just crashed and burned, but they didn't. Now, the 2014 team, Anywhere else, that team is, is – there are statues to the Harrisons and to Julius Randle. James Young's dunk is replayed over and over again. But it's just Aaron Harrison threes who someone who said they were a Kentucky fan told me those were lucky shots. <laughs> what? Man. And all people can remember of 2015 – is the disappointment at the end. No. And look, we're all Kentucky fans for the most part. We all wanted 40-0. I believe that. People talk about, well, the Harrisons this, the Harrisons that, and they've become the scapegoat. They were the second and third leading scorer in that game. It wasn't the Harrisons' fault. But all people remember is the disappointment, and I'm like, I remember the whole season, the beatdown of UCLA, 41-7. 20 points, a 20-point, 30-point beatdown of Kansas. North Carolina and Louisville, double-digit beatdowns. I remember that. Well, not, not Louisville, because that was a Tyler Ulyss where he, you know, he bled. I just remember that street fight that Kentucky won. Like, <laughs> what? Anywhere else in America. 38 and 1, we love you forever. But all people say is that that team was disappointing. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the 2017 team with Fox and Monk and Bam, and people that have, that claim to have good sense will get on Twitter and tell you that the program has had no mojo and no buzz since we lost to Wisconsin in 2015. Right. People will right. tell you that these teams have been boring and blah, blah, blah. Really? We haven't had any talent come through here. I look at 2016, I'm like, Jamal Murray has got the ninth, uh, scored the ninth most points in a season in UK history. He set the freshman record for scoring that Malik Monk broke the next year. Tyler Ulyss, SEC Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, All-SEC, All-American. No tap. What? But the Fox Monk Bam team, I'm like, 
Malik Monk going for 47 didn't – there was no mojo there. De'Aaron Fox going for a triple-double, there was no mojo there. Yeah. Fox eating Lonzo Ball's lunch in the NCAA tournament, that, he went for 39 points. That, that was no mojo there. I mean, we're all, we all want to go to the Final Four every year, but there was no way – that we were going to go to eight Final Fours in nine years. It just is not feasible. So what has happened, the market has corrected for you financial folks. The world has changed and caught up with Cal. The SEC is better. College basketball is different. Now that Coach K is into the one-and-done business and and Bill Self is in the one-and-done business and Oklahoma can get a one-and-done kid and and now Memphis is getting a one-and-done kid, it's different. Everybody's caught up. So Cal, and 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 this is what the, was the crux of my piece is, I think Cal's going to adapt. I've seen what he did at UMass, mm-hmm. and you know we all hail the '96 Kentucky team as being the best they've ever seen. I say that. Uh, do you know how close we were to to losing in the Final Four? We watched that game. They, you know, yeah. UMass beat Kentucky at the beginning of that season, and and it was close <laughs> to the last little bit in the Final Four against UMass, who had Marcus Camby and nothing else. I look at yeah. Memphis just before Cal and just after Cal. Ooh, wow, really? So <laughs> I feel Cal's going to do it. This is just a market correction. I just – you can't compare what Saban does to what Cal does. It just doesn't work. So, I've been ranting a lot. So I, need to take my, I need to take a breath here. <laughs> <laughs> and we're also let everybody know, at 7.30, we'll, we'll talk some, some NFL playoffs. We saw some crazy stuff over the weekend. Uh, Tom Pollin will be calling in from Chicago. Uh, he writes – for the last word on sports, last word on the NFL, uh, our good friend Kevin McGuffey also writes for them. He tells, writes a lot of Kentucky stuff for last word on sports. Tom writes a lot of NFL pieces for last word on sports. In Chicago, uh, lifetime football fan, we'll get him on talking NFL playoffs, primarily Bears, a lot of double doink with how – that game went down with them against the Eagles, who still need to be killed. Um, we'll get into some NFL with Tom Pollin at 7.30. He'll be calling in, so definitely stay around um, and, and check that out as well. Um, TB, man, you mentioned Jamal Murray a couple times, and rightfully so, and what he did at Kentucky should not be forgotten. He had a great freshman season. Um Himself and Tyler Eulis, one of the more potent backcourts, and we've seen a lot of elite point guards come through, elite shooting guards come through. Jamal Murray is right there with all of them, but can't can't mention him without. And look, everybody gets got. A lot of the morning got got. We talked about what Vince Carter did to him. Uh, even LeBron James got got. The dude for the Nets blocked his dunk before he got hurt, and everybody gets got. Uh, and the other day in Houston, Jamal Murray got got. 
Harden went behind the back on him and 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 lost him, and, and Murray fell, and to add insult to injury, Harden also hit the shot, and Murray committed the foul. So it was a four point play, but uh, we saw Harden get Wesley Johnson for the Clippers last year, and BBN loves Murray, but but James Harden got him pretty good the other night. And look, if you're going to play basketball for any extended period of time, like you said, you're going to get golf. You know, there's Kyrie yeah. that that put Brandon Knight on his backside. I mean, you're, you're you're gonna get, you know, you're gonna get dealt with at some point. That's just the uh, the nature of the beast. Um, yeah, so I, I did see that, and, and Jamal Murray in Denver, kind of kind of getting it done a little bit. Uh, oh, yeah. Have, like, oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. Just, I know a lot of people don't like the NBA like you and I do, but, I mean, there is Kentucky all over the place, and it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. They released the, the, the top ten vote-getters for the All-Star game, and the call town is not one of the top ten front-court players. That's insane to me because Cat is just balling out, and now that – Jimmy Butler, who is now making waves in Philadelphia, and let's talk about Jimmy Butler. What? At hey, some and, point, and, yeah, come on. What they think is going to happen? And look, I love what Murray's doing, except for when he was playing Houston. So you know, you already everybody knows how I feel about that. I, I, I love him, but I was pulling for the Rockets, and like you said, everybody just got look. Thibodeau, what they think is going to happen? Jimmy Butler. What they think was going to happen? Same. It's all. I mean, what you expect? And and that's that's Jimmy Butler. This is now Team Three, where he has broken it down. And and at some point, it's you. At some point, you have to. We have to say this guy's the problem. You know, it was kind of yeah. like with uh, Terrell Owens. You kind of like, well, Thank you know, maybe. Maybe he's just misunderstood, but when you break up the third different locker room, it's you. It's you. I mean, uh, and I mean, I mean Philadelphia you know, rolling the dice, thing. thinking, yeah, you know, Philly thinking they could, you know, we it'd be all right, you know, we 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 like the chemistry, we like what we got here, and we we can bring him in, and and after all that tanking and taking losses and poor Brett Brown. You know, finally got stuff going the right direction. Now you get a, you know, the trade for an all star is always good. I mean, you can, but the same fantasy basketball. It's chemistry matters. It's just not about see how many points you can get to beat your buddy in the office. It really, <laughs> you mentioned it with the Warriors. You guys working together three, four, five years, you get tired of working with the same people. And, Philly's brought in a dude who it doesn't take three, four, five years for him to get tired of where he's working at. And they roll the dice, and it's, and it's biting them already. It ain't been a month and a half. Right. And, and, and you, you have to forget, when you make these trades for guys, what are you giving up? And Philadelphia gave up a lot of perimeter scoring. So what has happened, if there's no one to score from the perimeter – and we know Embiid and uh, uh, Simmons can't shoot. 
Now, team, that, that's an easy way to play. If you've just got Jimmy Butler on the perimeter, I can scheme against one guy, if, especially if you've got Ben Simmons who won't take a shot outside 10 feet. Uh, so it really changes the makeup of the team. And, and like you said, uh, it's not fantasy football, fantasy basketball. That's what your boy Dan Snyder in Washington has tried to do for years and, and piecemeal <laughs> with these guys and that guy. It, it, it just doesn't work. Uh, you know, we, we see it <clears throat> come uh, tournament time when the – University of uh, Maryland, Baltimore County can outplay uh, Virginia. A good team that that plays together, that works together and all that can beat a talented team. We see it. That's where we get the upset. So I, that's part of the GM is recognizing talent and, and, and really saying, okay, how can this talent work together? That's the that's the, the 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 kicker there, and, and we see teams do better when somebody leaves. You know, <laughs> sometimes that happens. Uh, the, Jimmy Butler, uh, again, great player, all star caliber. I mean, he's worked hard to get to where he is because uh, he, he's Marquette, mm-hmm. right? Is he, is he Marquette? Uh, yeah. You know, he, he wasn't highly touted at Marquette before, so he's worked hard to to make himself an elite player. But but you ain't LeBron, you ain't KD. That's the thing. You know, you're only is you you know, you, you behave as, as much as your talent will afford you to, to misbehave. And, you know, he's gotta be thinking, you know, where else can I go? I mean he if he ruined things in Philadelphia, who a lot of people, you know, me included, thought could make some noise in the playoffs, what's his next move? Yeah, yeah. And this, I mean, the 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 warning signs were there. The track record was there, and you know, Philadelphia, Elton Brandon there now the GM, and <laughs> Elton hadn't long been, you know, hadn't hung up the shoes, you know, hung up the sneakers, you know, and and they weren't naive. They weren't you know, in the dark about this, players talk, executives talk, everybody knows when it's, you know, as common knowledge as it is to us, and we're not on the inside with any of these teams, <laughs> they have to know. And, you know, they've made a decision and decided to go with it, and you know, now they gotta they got to deal with it. Yeah, I, I, and they've got to try to make it work on the fly, and that's the the one thing with in-season trades that are always tricky is trying to figure it out all on the fly. There's no, there's no time to kind of, all right, let's, let's, let's meet. You're doing it in real time, which is really, really difficult to do. Uh, you know, we see that in Kentucky. It's, it's tough to figure things out or to get things right in the heat of battle because in the heat of battle, you know, you kind of revert. You know, like like Jimmy Butler has done, you you go back to being a jerk, basically. So, uh, but again, they knew this. You know, we had seen it uh, and all this kind of stuff. And I know he was trying to, 
you know, make it like, you know, Carl Anthony Towns was soft and this, that, and the other. My thing about that is I don't think Carl Anthony Towns is going to be a jerk. My whole thing when they were talking about that practice was Towns is probably like, you know what, he needs, you know, Butler needs to be a jerk about this. So I'm just going to chill and do my thing. That's my whole mindset. And I'm probably coming from a very pro-cat background, but everybody's got a guy in the office that's a jerk. And sometimes the easiest thing with a jerk is just let that jerk be a jerk, and you and you just kind of say, okay, you go do your thing. That's what I'm thinking mm-hmm. was going on with Towns at that point. It's like, you know what? He's a jerk. I'm not even going to deal with that. But, uh, yeah, but Jimmy Butler, yeah. he, you, you got to know what you're getting. Yeah, yeah, so. And another thing, you know, what what are teams doing? What are they doing? We touched on a little bit last week, you know, with the Bengals finally moving on from Marvin Lewis. And then, and look, we know what the rumor really is and why it's in place, but they were talking about bringing in Vance Joseph from Denver who was like 11 and 21 in two years at Denver. I know maybe in, in the guys get recycled, there's not a lot of options, but you know, you're, you're moving on from Marvin because he's not getting it done to the level that you would like him to and, and hasn't for a while and probably stayed and, and was able to be on borrowed time for a while there. But to go and, and try to get, get a guy that's 10 games under 500 in only two years as a coach doesn't make much sense. Same thing with, with Thibodeau when Minnesota decided to move on from him, which I never thought that was a great hire anyway, with him just yeah. having that, you know, I, I wear out my starters mentality and, and run guys into the ground when he was in Chicago. <clears throat> Great assistant in Boston, you know, a lot of the stuff they did defensively to win a title, you know, give him credit. Sometimes I still think he got a little too much credit. you got to give Doc some credit, too. Um, you know, Phil Jackson had great assistance, but, you know, takes winner wasn't still in field shine. Sometimes I think Thibodeau was, you know, lauded a little too much for what happened in Boston. But so, you know, that is what that is. When he goes from Chicago to Minnesota, I'm like, I just – I didn't think it was a good fit. You know, you had Cat, you got Wiggins, you got a, a young squad, and he can only coach one way. He just, you know, all out, wear on you, grind on you. Uh, and, look, all coaches have to motivate and push guys, but he just grates on you after a while, and I just didn't see it working out. They made the playoffs last year, uh, lost to Houston in five, but I just didn't see it. Him being the guy to get them – where Timberwolves fans would like to be. And now you, know, you got Flip Saunders' son in there on an interim basis, and the celebration with him getting his first win was very, very cool to see. And, of course, everybody loved his late father, Flip Saunders. But uh, the thing that's com- comparable to what Cincinnati did is you also heard that after Thibodeau was let go, you heard that they kind of had Fred Hoiberg at the top of their list. He didn't do anything in Chicago either. He, I mean, he's, sometimes you got to make changes, but if you're just going to bring in one loser for another, and, and Tibbs did at least win, but Hoiberg didn't do anything 
the the Marvin Lewis, Vance Joseph, Tom Thibodeau, Fred Hoiberg, and I mean they didn't hire him. Who knows? Maybe they do after the season. But the fact that it sounded like he was the guy they wanted to to try to get made no sense to me either. Well, I mean, this is this isn't a new phenomenon. I mean, well, no, uh, you, know, you, you 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 can look way back when and like how many teams did Marty Schottenheimer coach? You know, how many, you know, yeah. I mean, but he so, least, he he won though. He at least won. He didn't get the Super Bowl. No, he, he did. Won. He did. I mean, but it's he, not he like uh, situation. you know, Rich. It's not like Rich Kotite just keep getting jobs after jobs after. Jobs. He got a couple jobs too many, but Marty was at least. A solid to good coach everywhere he went. Yeah, and and but and everybody thinks their team is is different. Uh, you know, I think in uh, in Denver, you know, not getting anything out of spending all that money on uh, on uh, on Osweiler and and going with Paxton Lynch mm. that didn't work out <laughs> in Denver uh, like they, yeah. like they saw it. Uh, what we saw in Arizona after only one year. Uh, so there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Uh, yeah. So uh, for for my money, it was time for Marvin Lewis to go. I, I don't think anybody right. – he was probably four or five – probably three or four seasons too long. And, and mm-hmm. part of that was Bengals' ownership is just – I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible. Uh, again, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand the glee that some of the Bengals fans have at Marvin Lewis because unless you want to go back to the David Klingler days, it wasn't that bad. Okay, I mean, yeah, I, I, I know being stuck in that nine seven, you know, seven and nine purgatory isn't great, but you know, not having a winning record for fifteen years seems like something, you know, you say thank you and you move on. Um, but just when you look at coaches, like everybody thinks that, you know, we can get this guy in and he's going to make the difference. And sometimes that's absolutely true. You know, yeah. the right coach can turn the situation around. But the, the, the question, if you're a GM, if you're an owner, okay, what coach with our roster is going to make that big leap? What coach is going to be able to come in you know, and, and, and turn things around. I mean, and it could be as simple as going from Doug Collins to Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson was yeah. a top assistant. And, and, and once the, uh, uh, the Pistons beat down the Bulls in 1990, you know, and, and ownership decided to go away from Collins, Phil Jackson basically wrote out a plan that said, this is how we can beat Detroit. Mm-hmm. He got Michael Jordan to buy into the triangle offense and showed him where he could get the ball and still do what he wanted to do, but take some of the wear and tear off ball handling, take that off of him. And, you know, the rest is history. So if you've got a roster where you think, hey, we can make this leap, then you, 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 have, to, you have to pull that trigger, I think. But that's not Arizona football. That's not, you know, that's not the Bengals. That's not even Denver. Uh, you know, the, uh, those programs are a long way away from competing. 
But, you know, you, you have to do something. You have to, in the, in the professional sports, you have to be able to sell something to your fans to get them excited about what you're doing. And, hey, we got to do coach. And, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. Because GMs aren't going to fire themselves. <laughs> no. No, no GMs are going to put themselves on the chopping block. So if you can't sign players, you can't trade for players, fire the coach. That's it. And we'll shift it real quick. Just going back to what we talked about at the first, just one little, one more quick thing on Vince Carter. We talked about Netflix and stuff we've been watching. I started a documentary on Vince Carter called The Vince Carter Effect, kind of the effect him being drafted by Toronto had on the city and Canada as a whole. And it's going back to – Literally, when he's leaving North Carolina, there's interviews with Butch Carter. He, you know, hadn't seen him since the days of a young Vincent T-Mac. Uh, so a lot of good stuff there. I got to finish it, but definitely uh, another good Netflix documentary. I, ha- I hadn't finished it yet, but I got to pick it back up and, and knock that out. I, I watched that and the Iverson documentary in one Saturday <laughs> afternoon. And it, we take it for granted now because – uh, Toronto has been, even though you know LeBron's kind of owns him in the in, in the playoffs. But Toronto, when the league expanded, Toronto was like an unknown, a, a Canadian team that was kind of a out of the way kind of place. It's like America, but it's not. But watching that documentary, you can see how Vince Carter really helped give the Raptors an identity. And, you know, they were, they were pretty good. You know, uh, they, they had some deep, some deep runs. So it, it's, a, it's a great documentary to see how Vince impacted basketball north of the border. Absolutely, I agree with you. I've watched it, and it's, it, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to, to finish that one and, and get all of it and, and go back and relive all of that. Um, you talk about GMs not firing themselves and, and you know, got to do what they can to get the fans excited. The uh, Kentucky women's team has done that. They they have bounced back. They're 14-2 and two this year. Uh, they're going to be down here tomorrow night playing the uh, Tennessee Lady Volunteers down here in Knoxville. One and one in conference play. Won the first one, beat Vanderbilt by 20, 22 uh, went down to Mississippi State, who is a monster of a program, uh, right up there with South Carolina in the SEC. Uh, nationally, Vic Schaefer is doing his thing down there. They lost that one by 15, <clears throat> bad first quarter, and then you know, it just kind of played even the rest of the way. So now, play Tennessee tomorrow. The Lady Vols are also 1-1 one one in conference play. Uh, but the win over Vanderbilt to begin conference play was win number 300 for Matthew Mitchell. So congratulations to him on knocking that out. And, of course, they're definitely looking for a lot more Ws the rest of the way, but congratulations on him getting 300 with the win over Vanderbilt the other day. Yeah, and, and the women's team, you know, they, they dipped. They had that step backwards a little bit. But uh, Coach Mitchell – you got to give him and his staff credit for really, you know, getting the program back. Uh, 
you know, Mississippi State's on a different level, but but going to Louisville and playing as well as they did uh, in that loss, uh, they're back to playing that, you know, we're going to play all 94 feet. We are going to be relentless with our pressure and turn you over. Uh, Coach Mitchell's getting back to that. He's had some recruiting uh, coups. Uh, Senior Macy Morris from your neck of the woods, uh, she is going to go down as as one of the all-time Wildcats men or women basketball. She's joined some elite company with the the thousand point club, and and she's so, slowly but surely uh, working her way up the uh, the record book. So, Coach Mitchell, after a couple years of of, of kind of okay, you know, one disastrous year, and then last year, you know, was a lot better. Uh, they're trending upwards. And as wide open, you know, with, with college basketball, women's college basketball, I know there's uh, kind of Connecticut and everybody else, although Connecticut lost to uh, Baylor, but you got Connecticut, mm-hmm. Mississippi State, as you said, South Carolina. But, you know, after, you know, the first five or six, there's a drop-off, and, and Kentucky can absolutely fill in and be in, you know, fill that gap for that next level. And if they get rolling, this team absolutely can get to a, a women's elite eight. I think they've got the talent. We know they've got the coaching. Uh, so I would not be surprised to see them contend in the SEC. I know they're one and one right now, but they can actually contend for the regular season championship and make some noise in the NCAA tournament. Definitely, definitely. So uh, it'll be fun to see that continue. It'll be tough down here as well, as always. It's, it's you know, Tennessee not at the level uh, when the late past summit was there, but they're still very, very solid. They've only lost a couple of games themselves. One of them was to Stanford at home, and of course we know Stanford is always Stanford, another national power. Um, and then somebody in conference beat Tennessee. I'm not sure because they're one and one in SEC play as well. But uh, if they can come down here and, and get a win in Knoxville, that would be uh, a huge uh, boost for continuing to get back where they want to be. And, and beating Tennessee is still beating Tennessee. Uh, you know, they're not right. what they were under Pat Summit and Shanique Holdsclaw and, 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 and Candace Parker and all those uh, – Star players they had all time greats, uh, but still beating Tennessee at Tennessee that is something you can still hang your hat on. You know Thompson Bowling still yeah. tough place to play men or women. So you go down there and, and, and pick up a W and, and and take that momentum and move forward. Absolutely, absolutely for sure, for sure. Before we get on this Clemson Alabama Kentucky football ten and three, we have enjoyed talking about it, enjoyed basking in the glow of it. Historic season, first time since 1977 that you know been double digit wins. That's the year we were both both, both born. Uh, final poll comes out, the coaches poll. Kentucky is 11th, uh, just outside the top 10. Uh, still would have been nice to be ahead of Florida, who you defeated in Gainesville in the swamp. And it wasn't like it was fluky and Florida went on to go 4-8 and eight and Jim McElwain got fired. It wasn't that. They went on to win 10 games themselves. And one of their three losses was to Kentucky. So that one is still a little hard to swallow. But 
to finish up number 11 uh, after the year they had, I mean, you can't help but be proud to see Kentucky solidly placed in that final poll in football. Yeah. Football. Yeah. It's not, it's not fluky. It's not whatever. Uh, You know, we've, a lot of people, you know, smarter than us talking about Kentucky football. Uh, They, they were physical. This, you know, we were on round of shots with Jeff Picoro uh, does the color commentary and and talked with, I was really struck, stricken, stricken. What really struck me is when he was talking about uh, <laughs> Mitch Barnhart saying, this is why he got Mark Stoops. Because other people were like, you know, I can bring this offense. I can do this, this, and this. But Stoops understood if Kentucky is going to be respectable, not just for one season, but for additional seasons, they've got to be tougher. And I think sometimes what has happened is we try to be gimmicky, we try to set up like a one-trick pony, and it doesn't work, where now the program is being built, you know, quote-unquote, the right way. We're physical. We play defense. We can run the ball. And that's what you have to do to be competitive. Absolutely, absolutely. So for him to lay out the plan and then execute it, I mean, got to be, you know, he's not going to take a lot of time to look back on it now. They're already probably making preparations for early enrollees and spring practice and all that. But when he takes a little bit of downtime, it's got to be a very, very gratifying feeling before they get out on the road and start recruiting because, I mean, it's pretty much year-round with him and, as Merrill and the staff do, very gratifying, you know, for them to uh, you know start the year off confidently and and kind of know that what they had, and then to see it play out in the manner that it did. Uh, as proud as we are, the long suffering fans, you know, they have to be extremely proud as well because you know they're the ones that put in all the work and did all the coaching and practicing and developing and strength coaches and everybody on the inside, they have to be very, very thrilled with, with what they accomplished. Yeah, they've 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 got a, and they've got every right to you know, to stick out their chest a little bit, to to pound that chest a little bit, uh, because the pundits didn't see it. The pundits didn't believe it. That's what I liked your question to Jeff, you know, what what would you bet that South Carolina is gonna be ranked ahead of Kentucky? And and, <laughs> and and honestly, I mean, uh, you know, yeah, everybody talks about the Tennessee game, and you know, okay, I'm I'm kind of over that for right now. That's not going to be the highlight of this year for me. Is the Tennessee game? If that's your highlight, if that's what you go to, that that's on you. But I'm not going there when it comes to uh, this past football season. There's too many other things. Uh, to focus on So uh, for, for, for my money they, they built it This is what they said they were going to do They did it uh, I think the program is in better shape Than South Carolina Than Missouri Than Vanderbilt 
and even Tennessee. And, and I know the game, whatever. I get it. But I think they're even better shape than Tennessee right now. So you have to feel good going into next year. Yes, you lose a lot, but yes, you can. You're, you're bringing in some talent, and yes, you've already got talent in the program. You know, for 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 spells, AJ Rose looked pretty good against uh, you know SEC defenses. So uh, you know, can he carry the load and that kind of thing? So I, this program, to, for me, it feels different. It doesn't feel like fool's gold. It feels like this team is ready to compete. Year in and year out. Yeah. Before we shift over to this national championship for a few minutes before Tom Pollan comes on, uh, the last piece I wrote for uh, Cameron Mills Radio was you know, kind of recapping the Citrus Bowl, double-digit win, Citrus Bowl champs. Uh, and at the end, I put some – and also some low-key – good news out of Columbia. And that's what I kind of referenced when I was posing my question to Jeff Okoro because South Carolina played in their bowl game and got blown out 28 to nothing. There was only one other team, I think it was San Diego or San Diego State, in all these 50 blue million bowl games that are going on before we actually get to the playoff and the New Year's Day bowls. South Carolina and San Diego State were the only two teams shut out. And you got 15,000 teams playing. Will Muschamp was one of two teams to have a bagel at the end of their bowl game. This came on the heels of South Carolina giving him another year on his contract. And, of course, we all know Kentucky's beaten him five years in a row. That's the only other team They've done that, too, outside of Vanderbilt. So I just kind of threw that into my article, threw a little shade at South Carolina uh, because they're down there literally in Columbia beside themselves, kind of like the Missouri coaches you heard in the press box. Losing to Kentucky, that's how they feel over in South Carolina. Losing to Kentucky again, Kentucky's Kentucky's beaten us five years in a row, beating the Gamecocks five years in a row. So – I wrote that, you know, if the coaches, you know, Mark Stoops and company were really honest, they probably cool with seeing Will Muschamp get another year on that contract, especially when you go out and see him get blown out in his bowl game. You've been beating him before, since before you got good. I mean, five years ago, Kentucky's still winning five games. You know, they're not making bowl games yet, and they're sure not going 10-3 and three and playing in the Citrus Bowl, but – the constant in all that is Kentucky's been beating South Carolina. So I could not put that in my article uh, because if South Carolina were to win this coming year, this coming up, coming fall, I would kick myself for not writing that when I had the opportunity. So I threw some shade there at Columbia. And kind of like when Rick Pitino used to <laughs> always say that Wade Houston was doing a good job at Tennessee. Well, of course he is because – you know, Rick's coming to Knoxville and, and beating his brains in. Sure, keep Wade. You know, give Wade a lifetime contract. That's kind of, in my opinion, where Kentucky is with Will, Will Muschamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign Will to another year. We like Will in Columbia. <laughs> it don't matter if it's Columbia or Lexington. They've been beating on Will and the Gamecocks uh, for five straight years now. And 
whoever was there before him. So I don't think they're going to lose any sleep over Muschamp getting another year. So uh, that's why I had to throw that in my article. Tuesday night, Monday night rather, Alabama Clemson round four, third time for all the marbles, one time in the national semifinal. And it started out like a toe-to-toe heavyweight fight. And in the end, TV, it was just a whooping. And Clemson was the one doing the whooping. We've had Meredith Hornsby on for several years. Uh, she used to write for BamaHammer.com. Diehard Bama fan, Bama native, Bama grad. You say it every year. Your Mike Myers line, I'll just go ahead and let you say it because we finally saw what you've been saying, <laughs> at least on Monday night anyway. I mean, there, there's nothing you can say about it. It was a beatdown. Clemson, and, and let's look at this. Alabama has been Alabama, you know, going back to Bear Bryant, okay? And then under Saban, they've been something. But what Dabo Sweeney has done at Clemson, because remember, we had a whole thing about Clemson. That's how bad it was. It wasn't just that they lost. It was Clemson used to be spectacularly losing. And so what we see is there's a great foil to Nick Saban. Now, Nick Saban is going to go down as, as arguably the best college football coach of all time. I mean, that, that's something, you know, if he's not number one, he's two or three. I mean, that's – but for Dabo to do this at Clemson, is something else spectacular. And it shows that they are recruiting talent and they're coaching them up. Everybody else that plays Alabama is scared. I'm just going to put that out there. Everybody else hopes they can beat Alabama. Clemson's the one team over the last four years or five years that, that knows they can beat Alabama. They've done it, and, and what we saw was a culmination of just a perfect storm. For you know, Clemson was focused on this game. Their senior uh, class was focused. I'm not saying Alabama was not focused, but this was just a perfect storm of everything going right. I thought, uh, uncharacteristically, Alabama panicked. And anytime you stop playing your game and start playing somebody else's game and start doing things you're not accustomed to doing. That's how you lose. And that's what we saw with with Alabama. But that being said, after the game, you know, everybody's got to get their jokes off about Alabama losing. And I think every national sports writer that covers college football over the last decade, I think every one of them has at least one article or probably two about, is this the end of Alabama? You know, every time Alabama loses in the championship game, you know, they write this article. You know, Kyle Tucker, that's now with The Athletic, actually tweeted out, look at who Alabama's bringing in. The number one this, the number two that. 
Alabama's going to be Alabama. I will believe Alabama is done when they go five and seven and don't go to a bowl game. I'll, I'll believe that. Because let's look at Alabama. Alabama has made as much as I'm an SEC guy, as much as it, it means more, the the SEC regular season is almost meaningless at this point. Alabama's just kind of made it like whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's a given Alabama is going to run through the SEC with really good teams. Alabama's not going to be pushed. And then Georgia's going to do something ridiculous when they play Alabama. So, but Alabama has made football in the South. It's just, it's weird. You know, that, in that respect, you can look at what Alabama's done with football and you can contrast that to what Kentucky's done in basketball. It's almost the same thing. You know, you know I've talked to people, you know, this year is going to be tough for SEC basketball. Yeah, but, you know, I, I'm still going to put money on Kentucky to win because, you know, I've seen all the trophies. And that's what's going on with Alabama. So they're at a different level. Georgia is better than everybody else except Alabama. So it's, you know, those are the two teams everybody's chasing. Alabama's not done. Alabama's going to be back. Uh, one thing we've seen when Alabama loses in the championship game, they come right back and win a title. So, we may very well see Alabama and the Clemson six, whatever we're up to next year, because right. they're just. And, I, and you can see that when you say Notre Dame is top four and you say Oklahoma's top four, and those semifinal games weren't even close, clearly Alabama and Clemson are separate from everybody else right now. Just clearly they're just better than everybody else. So I've got to see, you know, i got to see the body before you declare Alabama dead. Yeah, and it was just, and yeah, it's the chance of them coming right back and winning a title or at least playing for another one uh, are good as far as Alabama is concerned. But to just to see Alabama curled up and just taking punches, you know, that hasn't happened in a long time. I mean, Saban had only lost by fourteen a couple times. In the 12 years that he's been there, uh, I remember I watched the CBS game. They lost to South Carolina like 35 to 21, and Utah or somebody in the bowl game might have beat him by 14. And that's it. You know, he's only lost like 19 games since he's been there. Two by 14 were the worst losses in his Alabama tenure. So to see it get out of hand like that, to see Clemson be that much better, and Alabama on that night anyway, or maybe just the way the teams match up this season, that for Alabama not to have any answers, uh, not to be able to, to slow Clemson down, and then to, to get stuffed on goal-to-goal situations. Uh, Nick Saban is going for it on fourth down in his own territory. Uh, then you got the, the botched fake field goal that had no chance at all when you got your kicker trying to lead block for your third-string quarterback. Uh, I mean, it was just to see them that 
to see them be dismantled like that. We've seen Clemson beat them. You know, it was last second, you know, Deshaun Watson, who's you know, great player doing his thing, to Renfro, who's been there for 14 years. We've seen Clemson beat them uh, a couple times. Um, and we've seen Clemson beat them for a title. But to see them just smack them around like that, that's what was was so stunning. Um, Tua, of course, came in and stayed the day last year against Georgia. You talk about Georgia always doing something ridiculous. Georgia's had them on the ropes as well but couldn't finish them. Tua was on fire and blazing all year, and then – it's kind of a law of averages. You know, you, you got dominant players, you got a Shaq, you got a Jordan, but as good as everybody is, eventually there's, you know, they can try to kind of catch up to you to some degree. I don't know if that's happened for Tua. Uh, he had a rough game against Georgia, uh, had a rough game against Clemson, hasn't been fully healthy, so he might come back next year and just start lighting it up again. Same thing now, you got Trevor Lawrence, a true freshman to do that to Alabama. Not just, he's not a seasoned quarterback. He didn't even play a full season. We were scratching our head halfway through the season when Dabo Sweeney opted to go ahead and move Trevor Lawrence into the starting position and Kelly Bryant transfers. And on the depth chart behind Trevor Lawrence, you got the Bryce kid who, you know, mopped up who has no experience. And and then Trevor Lawrence goes out in his first game against Boston College of Syracuse and gets his bell run, gets knocked out. And that was like, well, see, Dabo, everybody was, you know, we knew this could happen. What's going to happen if he gets hurt? They still won that game, and Lawrence comes back and runs the table, takes care of business against Notre Dame, and then thoroughly dominates Alabama, those who follow this kid have been talking about and raving about him for years, you know, and he, you know, he's only 19, and to do that to Alabama on that stage is unbelievable. Will teams kind of catch up to him now that he will go into next year, you know, uh, and they get more tape on him. You got a whole summer, you know, all those ACC different coordinators got a whole year to – to get up to him, and looks like he was born in Johnson City, Tennessee. I did not realize that, and I know he's you know moved on to play high school in Georgia. Will teams be able to catch up to him and kind of slow him down a little bit, and, and cause him to have a little bit of a rougher time, like we saw Tua, or will both of them just continue to light it up until they can finally declare for the draft? Uh, that's kind of what I'm curious to see. I mean, Dabo rolled the dice, and it, it paid off. Because when he when he got his bell rung and there he's having to trot out the kid that's completely green, it looked like it all had just blew up in his face. And instead, they end up being 15-0 and and beating the 14-0 Alabama team, who was by far the best offensive team Saban has had uh, and could have been maybe going down as his greatest Alabama team ever had they been able to beat Clemson. So uh, it, we might just have a replay of this next year to where Alabama, like you said, has made the SEC season <laughs> whatever. Clemson's done the same thing. You know, just let them both play <laughs> in August and get it over with. 
you know, they both might make the season meaningless and we have part six or part five or whatever it is again. It's going to be fun to watch. But you got to tip your hat to what, you know, Dabo and all those guys did. You know, Christian Wilkins, the big defense lineman, he could have went pro. You know, Josh Allen beat him out for a ton of awards. He's a great player in his own right. He came back because, you know, much like Benny and Josh and all the Kentucky guys that could have been drafted came back to win a bowl game, to improve on 75. All the Clemson guys came back because we won another shot in Alabama, and they got that shot, and they did what they intended by, you know, finishing that unfinished business from last year and, and getting that revenge win. And, and for for me, it was like, you know, like you said, the Clemson guys came back for one purpose, to beat Bama. And it reminded me of in 2015, you know, the Wisconsin guys came back for one reason, and that was to beat Kentucky. And right. I'm not going to say the, the cliche, they wanted it more, but that was part of it. Like, hey. We we need to beat these guys, and and that was their motivation right there. So uh, you tip your hat to Clemson. Bama got beat up like we haven't seen in a long, long time, and and so I think I think they'll be back. I, 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 you know, it's it, and it's like right now with Bama, it's it's how I kind of feel. You know, when I was talking about Cal at the top of the show earlier. Did we really expect Bama to win like eleven titles under Saban? He's not. He can't win them all. Like, so there's going to be some of these games where Alabama just gets beat. But going in next year, who's going to bet against Alabama? <laughs> that's the, that's yeah. where they are right now. Exactly. And here's where we are right now. It is time for our guest to come on, calling in from Chicago. Chicago dude through and through talking about Cubs, Bears, Blackhawks. He writes uh, right now uh, for last word on sports, last word on pro football, lots of NFL content there, football history articles. We're talking about Tom Pollen. Tom, welcome to Cast Talk Wednesday. Appreciate you joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. It's, uh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, man, appreciate you coming on. I, I saw, been following you on Twitter for a while, uh, and saw your tweet. <laughs> I guess it was Sunday night, about, or maybe it was Monday. But the weather was rainy and dreary and gloomy and foggy and yes. dull, and that's kind of matching yeah. the the mood and frame of mind of of Bears fans, man. And that maybe just I, I got to get time on and talk to him about what's going on up there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was Monday. Uh, just a cold, dark, rainy day, and I'm telling you, the the heart just got cut right out of Bears fans um, at the end of that game. They were, I know everybody in Chicago was expecting this team to head for Los Angeles next week and and play in the division round, and it's just, you know, it, it was it was just so sudden. It was just, you know. Uh, so disappointing and then really cut the heart of a lot of people, a lot of fans. And look, there's, you know, Cody Parkey's going to get the bulk of it. 
But, uh, you know, we also saw the defense let the Eagles drive down and give up the score. But take us right. back to when when Park when Parkey had the the four doinks off the uprights in one game in earlier in the season was was the the mindset to just roll with him. He's our guy. What was the fan base like then, and what was the management like then for Chicago? Well, uh, the fans I know were looking for um, the Bears to bring in some competition for Parkey. Um, even when he he was making field goals, he was very jumpy. It was very hit or miss, it seemed like. Um, he never really had a lot of confidence in his form. It didn't look like Parkey had a lot of confidence. The main issue, though, is he has a two-year contract. He was on a two-year guaranteed contract. Um, and all the money is guaranteed, so that's Probably why the Bears kept him uh, kept him on, decided not to bring in a uh, any competition for him, and yeah, you know, it, it seems like everybody in Chicago is waiting for this. Um, mm. We just it it a lot of uh, sports writers, people on talk radio, were saying, "Well, what if it comes down to Cody Park? What what happens if it comes down to Cody Park?" Is he going to be the guy who uh, who ends up, you know, knocking the Bears out of this? And, and, you know, as positive as we were, I mean, he's not the only reason they lost that game. But, you know, it's, it's, you're coming down to the end, and it's up to him to make a kick, and, and he's got to do it. And so, you know, the fans – never did have much confidence in him, but management, I think we painted into a corner because of the contract. There wasn't much they could do. Um, but they're going to have to bring in some competition for him next year. I just don't think he can come back and and kick again here in Chicago. And I'm not necessarily saying that because, because of the myth, but you know, his mindset is just going to be completely shot now, and, and he's going to get booed mercilessly every time he steps on the field uh, next year, and he might be better off trying to kick, uh, trying to start someplace fresh. I really can't see him being back um, as the Bears kicker for next season. Is it a situation? Yeah, so. Like like Scott Norwood for Buffalo, that it just you you can't be in that same situation again. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, yeah, pretty much. That that's a that's a great uh, comparison, right? I mean, not not quite the big stage that Norwood was looking at, but um, but it's it's that exact situation where you know. I really doubt his ability to kick confidently in Chicago now. Yeah, after uh, after last week, after last Sunday. And, and I would say it was like Mike Vanderjat for the Colts. Remember, he was kind of <laughs> automatic, and then missed a couple, and and that was it. That was all she wrote. You know, he missed a couple yeah. uh, uh, meaningful kicks, and that was it. And he had been the Colts' all-time leading scorer, kicker, whatever. But if you're a kicker, a couple of misses, 
and 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 that's really it. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah, you. I mean, it's like golf or uh, like baseball players who get the that you know what's called Steve Blast disease, where you can't throw the ball back to the pitcher or or throw a strike from the mound. You know, once you miss a couple of times, you start thinking, and that's the worst thing you can do as a kicker. And that's another great comparison is Vanderjack. Yeah, I remember that. Um, he was one of the best kickers in the league. He's one of the most reliable kickers in the league. And and that was it for him. And I I just I think Parkey is in that same situation now. Um you know, the thing is if you watch that kick, he was pulling left. He says he hit it good, but he was pulling left. His body was kind of leaning left. And whether the ball got tipped and, and apparently somebody got, you know, a finger on the ball, but um, that ball was heading to the left upright to begin with. So, and right. it, it's just, you know, the hell of it is, is it's really hard to hit an upright like that. And he's done it five times a season. <laughs> it's almost oh. like you should get something for hitting the upright. <laughs> yeah. Right, I know. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked I mean, up Barkey's like contract. He's... He's, actually, he's actually signed through uh, another three seasons. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. It's a, It's almost like he could just take to act on the road like like a traveling kicking show and where he just goes from city to city hitting up right. <laughs> oh yeah. It it was uh it was amazing. But the heck of it is it's it's no he had a chance to bounce through but it hit the hit the crossbar also so um yeah. you know he, he got he got bad bounces twice on the same kick. Yeah. Unbelievable. Were you there for the game, Tom, or were we watching uh, elsewhere? No, I was watching on television. I wasn't able to be there for the game, but um, you know, it was the perfect conditions for the game, and really wasn't a lot of wind on the field. So, you know, the, the problem is, is you saw him just uh, push the first one right through the uprights. I mean, it was it was almost a perfect kick, and. Later on in the locker room, he was talking about, well, he was trying to make an adjustment for the wind. Um, no, you don't make an adjustment. You do what you just did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's the mechanics. His, his mechanics were completely off when he was making that second kick. So, I don't know. I just don't think he's going to be able to kick here in Chicago again. I definitely think he's going to have to kick his way through um, competition next year if he wants to come back and kick to the Bears again next year. For sure. You talked about how we were talking with Tom Pollard, uh, last word on sports, last word on the NFL, lots of great uh, Bears articles, lots of great NFL insights. You can check, check Tom there and follow him at TJ Pollard on Twitter. You talked about how it's going to be a struggle for Parkey going forward. Uh, we've seen golfers in majors, you know, kind of melt down on Sunday, and, and then you, you never hear from them again. For the Bears going forward as an organization, 
know, Matt Nagy's doing great things as a coach. Uh, Vic Fangio has moved on to Denver, as you wrote about today. Yeah. What do the Bears yeah. do going forward as far as them moving on from this and getting ready for the uh, upcoming 2019-2020 season? Well, I think they're in great shape, uh, all things considered. I mean, this is Trubisky's, Mitch Trubisky's second season, and you saw him improve as the year went on. Um, his decision-making got better. Yeah, he almost threw a couple picks in, in the game last Sunday, but, you know, it, it was his first time on, on the playoff stage, and I think he got better as the game went on. Uh, he can make the difficult throws. He can make uh, – he, he's got a bullet rifle for an arm. I mean, when he sees a receiver open, uh, you better be ready because he's, he's delivering the ball quick. It's not aligned. So, and I like what the Bears have done with their wide receiver core. Um, Allen Robinson is just outstanding. Uh, being able to pick him up, um, guy who can go get the ball, um, climb the ladder and get it, hit great hands. Uh, he he's probably one of the best pickups out of last uh, last season's uh, free agency market. And I had my eye on him a few a couple of years ago when he was in Tampa and was really, really thankful that the Bears were able to get him. Um, so I, But they're going to have to add to the receiving core a little bit. Um, Kevin White, who was the first first-round draft choice for uh, um, Ryan Pace uh, as, as a receiver, he won't be back with the team. Uh, never quite happened with him. Uh, you got a playmaker in Tariq Cohen. Um, it's possible they're going to look for another uh, heavier running back in place of uh, Jordan Howard, but I don't know why. I, you know, that's one of the things that kind of confused a lot of people last week, too. Jordan Howard first carry gets seven yards, and then, you know, he's out of the game, and there there's a rotating running back against. It really... You know, it's difficult to see because Jordan Howard has gained yards every time he's been given the ball. But um, it was very puzzling to see Taquan Mizell get a get a carry and see Ben Cunningham get a carry. I have no business being on the field in a playoff game. Uh, and that's one of the things that a lot of people question uh, Matt Nagy about. But, you know, the defense is solid. The Bears have a lot of great, play, great young players on defense. Uh, Roquan Smith has become an outstanding linebacker and is just going to get better. Um, Danny Trevathan had a, had a great season. Uh, the secondary is solid. One of the things they're going to have to do is pick up uh, – they're going to need another safety. When Eddie Jackson went down uh, with the sprained ankle, uh, you kind of saw what happened – uh, he was sitting, standing on the sidelines, but he never got a snap in the game. And Deion Bush played in his place. And Deion Bush, um, good backup, but he, he's not a guy who can go a whole game. He missed an interception if he would have gotten his head around on the ball. Uh, he would have had uh, an interception. Uh, there would have been three instead of two interceptions in that game. Um, 
So they need another safety. Uh, they need another slot corner. Bryce Callahan is going to be a free agent, and I know the Bears would love him back, but he's also uh, kind of, in, you know, gets the injury bug, and you never know if he's going to be healthy for an entire season. Um, so, yeah, a slot corner, uh, another safety, and, you know, maybe another receiver. So, and more help along the offensive line. So I think that's pretty much what they're going to look at come uh, come this off season. Do you think they will promote from within as far as defensive coordinator, or do you think they're going to go outside the organization and, and are they trying to keep the defense the same as far as a scheme and, and style of play standpoint? I think they want to keep it the same. Um, Ed Donatel was the uh, Bears' uh, secondary coach this year, and he's been getting a lot of play. A lot of people have been mentioning his name as um, the possible you know, defensive coordinator, and I think he would be an outstanding defensive coordinator. But he also has close ties to uh, Vic Fangio, so we're kind of expecting that Donatel is going to end up in uh, in Denver to run uh, to be the defensive coordinator for Vic Fangio, mm. oh, which wow. is disappointing. We would have loved to have had him here. Yeah, well, they have yeah. to replace two staff positions there yeah. with, with Vic going to Denver. As far yeah, as that's the way it's looking. Address, yeah, as far as addressing the needs. That you just mentioned, you know, safety, slot corner, O-line, things of that nature. If you had to break it up into a percentage of, of how the Bears would approach to fill those needs, you think it will be more through the draft or more through free agency to get veterans in or bring in young guys to develop them? Will it be 50-50 both ways, 60-40 draft? How do you think they'll handle it? I think I would look at it. That's a good question. Um I expect them to actually probably be about 50-50. This is one of the great things about the way you build a team in the NFL these days is if you have a young quarterback who's on on his initial contract, you can afford to spend some money in other areas of the team, which they took advantage of when they brought in Khalil Mack. So they can actually – do some shopping of free agent and land a an impact free agent if they want to. Um, <clears throat> but on that same note, this is a team that that he has a lot a very solid starting lineup, and I think their build process right now is to build more depth into this team. Um, <clears throat> so, and they don't have a first round pick this year, but that's fine. I mean they. They got their impact player with their first round pick this year, uh, with Khalil Mack. No kid, but uh, no kid. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> oh, that changed that changed the game the minute he got to Chicago. I'm telling you that that, that showed that the Bears were serious about being all all in for the year. Um, and he didn't disappoint. He he's just outstanding all season. He's fun to watch. Uh, he's fun to watch as long as he's on your team. So. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think 
I think about 50-50 because I think they still have cap space to spend if they want to, if they find the right guy out there. But they're not desperate to have to, having to do that now. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see who's going to be available and, and start uh, start speculating on names once uh, once the free agent list is finalized and see how things are going to uh, shake out. Definitely, definitely. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm talking with mm-hmm. Tom Pollan. Last word on sports. Last word on the NFL. Or Tom, are you a Chicago native, born and raised? You're going to Bears yep. games and Cubs games as a kid, or? Yep, pretty much. Yeah, I've been in the Chicagoland area my whole life, and actually live in the city right now. But yes, I've been in in this area um, my my entire life been a Chicago fan my entire life. So, yeah, um, that's not always been a good thing. It's been a frustrating thing in a lot of areas. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm a Chicago fan, and then that's – it's I can't see ever being anything else. So, but uh, – Now, Terry has been to Chicago. You've been to Wrigley Field, caught a Cubs game. What's the experience like in in Soldier Field for the Bears game? Tell us what that's like, Tom. Well, since they put uh, since they really did a lot of updating Soldier Field, um, the stadium holds the sound a lot better. It gets it can get very loud in there now. Uh, before it was kind of very open with the seating slopes a lot more. It was tougher to tougher to hold the sound inside the stadium. So, but you get a lot of sound, and, and it's very exciting to be there. Um, the fans are always great. You get a lot of tailgating before the game in the parking lot. Um, you can eat pretty well before the game if you just walk through the parking lot. So, <laughs> and I'm telling you, there's some really good cooks out there. So, but inside the stadium, it's great. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of uh, things going on. Uh, they got a great video board now. Uh, they made a lot of upgrades to the stadium. So, so I actually was able to spend uh, one quarter of a game on the on the field there, actually on the sidelines. Uh, one time it was about six seven years ago, and that was a lot of fun too. So. Amazing. Being able to see the field from front, or seeing the stands from the field view, that's it's great. It's that was a one in a lifetime experience. Man, that is all right. Now, if you had to, if you had to pick for outsiders like us who aren't, you know, in Chicago or, or from there, is it a Bears town? Is it a Cubs town? Or is it split? How would you how would you rate it? <laughs> It's mostly mostly a Cubs town. Um, well, I'll, I'll give it to you this way: uh, Cubs and White Sox, of course, split the town. Now, the Cubs have a better, bigger following than the White Sox do. <clears throat> but let, let's say when football field rolls around, uh, all Cubs and Sox fans kind of join together, and they're all Bears fans. So. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, 
so it really becomes Bears football takes over the town once baseball season's over. And uh, Cubs and White Sox fan put aside the rivalries and uh, and the Bears gear goes on, and, and this town is big on, on the Chicago Bears. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I, I tweeted uh, Team Hicks a couple of years ago when he first got to Chicago was talking about you know, wanting to be there when the team improves, wanting to be a part of what the Bears could be. And I tweeted at him. I said, boy, uh, wait till you – if you are here when the Bears are good, it, it's like not like an experience you've ever had before. Uh, this town really becomes crazy about the Bears uh, when, they, when they are out there and when this is a quality team. So <laughs> he thought that was – that was great to hear. So, um, so you know, it, it's kind of been that way this past season. Everybody really got got excited. Uh, everybody started making their reservations for Atlanta for the Super Bowl, and uh, <laughs> kidding about that. But, <laughs> but uh, and, and, and for my money, on the outside looking in at Chicago, we know Boston gets all the championships and in, in, in New York, but Chicago's had a pretty nice decade plus with the Bears, you know, making that Super Bowl with Rex Grossman and the White Sox finally winning the Cubs, yeah. finally winning the Bulls, you know, uh, or, you know, what the Bulls were able to do with Jordan and even the Blackhawks have been able to do. Chicago's quietly been, been kind of accumulating their own championships as well. Yeah, I agree. When I was growing up, it was a uh, it was really tough to be a Chicago fan um, because nobody was good. It was it was <laughs> tough to get behind anybody. Nobody was good, and being able to see, have some of this success over the last few years, it's been outstanding. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, but you're right. You know, we've seen we've seen some positives from uh, from all sports. Um, you know, over the past. 20, 25 years, and, and it's been, you know, you'd like to see more, but, um, you know, hopefully hopefully there will be more, you know, with the Bears uh, moving forward and, you know, Cubs come back strong. We'll, we'll see what happens this next season there. And, you know, Bears, Bear, uh, Bulls and Blackhawks are on the rebuild. Right, 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 right. So as far as the Cubs, it'll be spring training before we know it. Uh, oh, they, God, yeah. they ended the long drought in, in 2016 and, and brought it home in seven against the Indians. Still a young team. I think, if I'm correct if I'm wrong, maybe a bit of a disappointment the way it ended for them last year as far as expectations now in, in relation to the talent. But do you see him kind of poised to, to bounce back and, and still kind of capitalize on this window of youth and talent that they have and get back to the series this year? Uh, I think so. I think they are. It's been a little frustrating this last offseason to see them not um, hitting the free agent market. And uh, they've, they've kind of pulled back a little bit as far as what they've done um, this past off season, they really haven't gone out to get anybody, but I think a lot of that has to do with they've made a change with their hitting coach. Uh, Julie Davis is out after one season. And they brought 
in uh, Anthony Iaposi from the from the Texas Rangers, and I think they expect a little bit better out of their approach to the plate. Um, the thing is, Philly Davis was more of a uh, you know trying to teach a level swing, um, more contact, uh, and it, it's it's a great approach. And I think it's, it works if you've been kind of brought up through the minor leagues in that. But the Cubs is kind of always talking, as I've always stressed, uh, uh, lunch angles, and which is you know the big um, uh, catchphrase of the day as far as baseball goes. It's, it's lunch angles, and I think yeah. the Cubs were disappointed, and probably understand that that's why they didn't get the power numbers that they expected last year. Was that Julie Davis? Uh, completely tossed uh, any launch angle uh, thoughts and and emphasis kind of out the window. He didn't teach that. And the Cubs are going to get back to that again this season. So I, I think that's kind of where the Cubs are looking, where uh, Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer are looking, is to get back, um, you know, because this is the same core that did win that World Series. So basically yeah. taking this core and reestablishing the power numbers that they were able to put up. And they also replaced their pitching coach. Um, actually, uh, Joe Madden is on his last season as uh, his last year of his contract as Cubs manager. And I think the Cubs have really kind of lit the seat under him a little bit. Um, it's, it's become very apparent that Madden definitely has to produce this year. He, you know, his hand-picked pitching coach is gone. His hand-picked hitting coach is gone. And now his bench coach, uh, Mark Loretta, is the new bench coach. He has a very deep background with uh, Jed Hoyer. Both were in the San Diego Padres organization for a long time. So I think the Cubs just hired as a bench coach the guy who they intend to be their next manager if Madden fails this season. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Make him, like I, I really, like really they, believe they, that. Like in in plus, about, Chicago, uh, the Cubs had that brutal schedule at the end of the year where they played like <clears throat> on 28 out of like 30 days or something like yeah. that to end the year to get into the playoffs that really caught up right. with them. And allowed the Brewers to uh, to, to leapfrog them. Now, full disclosure, uh, my significant other is a diehard Cubs fan, and I just tweeted you some pictures. She took me to Wrigley <laughs> Field for the first time ever. I mean, diehard in uh, as much as oh. periodically will will put in the 2016 DVD uh, championship DVD just to watch, just to have something on. So <laughs> I have become a Cubs fan. You know, by oh, yeah. I've been roped into being it, so I have now paid attention to the Cubs and what the Cubs are doing. So uh, everything that happened to the Cubs, she she kind of she ran all that by me, you know, while they were playing those games and that bizarre rain delay makeup game with the uh, yeah. with Washington and everything like that. So she's hoping they have a good yeah. year too. So. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure. But as I'm saying, I think 
they expect the Cubs expect to have improvement to come from it within. So, and you have a picture here with uh, uh, Katie Chet Cubs, and she's a big. Uh, I enjoy her on, on Twitter too. I follow her; she follows me, uh, and she's oh. great during the baseball season. So, yeah, you're uh, one of my That's Twitter friends. Oh, outstanding! <laughs> outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Small world. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but, you know, but I'm looking forward to, to you know seeing what happens in baseball season. I'm sure they're expecting you, Darvish, to come back with a big season. Uh, I'm hoping, uh, and you know you get. You know, you're getting another year out of Lester. John Lester's getting a little older, but, you know, still a hell of a pitcher. So there's a lot of positives we had on this team. The one problem is Brandon Morrow, their closer, is not going to be ready to start the season. So they're going to be back to being a bullpen by committee again with Pedro Strope and uh, and uh, Kyle Edwards, uh, Jr. So, you know that's that's going to be a little bit rough, but but overall, I think we're going to see a lot more offense out of the team. And and you're right, the bad part about last year was they had one hell of a stretch where where they were playing constantly, and I think it did wear that team down. I think that was a great point. That's for sure. Well, Tom, we have definitely enjoyed your insight. I I gotta ask you one last thing before I let you go, though. If I was just to to be in Chicago right now, right there in the city with you, you're in the city, know it in and out, where would we go or where would you suggest that I go for, in your opinion, the best Chicago-style hot dog and the best Chicago deep dish pizza? Where would you be telling me to go or where would we, we be going to eat it? Yeah, the best deep dish pizza you probably get at Lou Malnati's. Uh, Lou Malnati's is a real quality place. They do a great, great pizza. Um, so definitely they have two or three locations in Chicago. So if you get Lou Malnati's, you're going to get a really top-notch deep dish pizza. As far as a, a hot dog, Chicago hot dog, any place you go that has a Vienna hot dog sign in front. Uh, <laughs> there are so many great small uh Small, little, out-of-the-way hot dog places in this city from north to south. And, you know, you can get you, – you'll get great ones every, anywhere. And it, it's hard to put a – put a you know, give a start recommendation to just one when there are so many that are available in the city. If you see a Vienna hot dog sign, you go, go ahead and go in. You're going to get some – a quality hot dog, and probably, you know, the best along those lines, if you want to go into a Portillo's, uh, hot dogs, hamburgers, Italian beef, um, go into a Portillo's and try them. They do a great, great hot dog, do a lot of other great things, too. I I can confirm that. We went and had some Italian sausage there uh, when we went to Chicago, and, yes, delicious, absolutely (laughs) delicious. Oh, yeah. So... I'm 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 down here outside of Knoxville, Tennessee, and there was a there's a guy that actually 
you know, grew up in Chicago and moved down here uh, and opened up a restaurant. His name was Jimmy. It was called Jimmy's Doghouse. He's closed down the restaurant part. Still has a, a store where you can kind of get, you know, T-shirts and, and trinkets and things like that. But he would have all of the, the Vienna stuff shipped in. He did the Italian beef. He did he did all of that. So that was the the closest taste to Chicago I've had. So uh, I definitely have to to check him out when I make a trip up to the city for sure. So I definitely had to absolutely. Get your, your recommendations as a local. And I'm telling you, come in. Let me know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let, sure. let me know when you do make it here. I, well, I definitely, definitely. will, Tom, because uh, Katie and I are planning on uh, we're, we're we're finalizing maybe doing spring training and then catching at least five to six Cubs games this year. So I'll definitely be looking you up. Oh, that's outstanding! That's great to hear. <laughs> yes, yeah, that is cool. That is cool. And Tom, we can't thank you enough for hopping on. Uh, and getting us caught up on all things Bears and Cubs and Chicago-related. And I'd uh, love to get you on again uh, to talk with you again sometime. But, man, we definitely appreciate you joining us this evening. Oh, anytime, guys. I really enjoyed it. This this has been great to be on with you. Appreciate it, Tom. Oh, Thank, you. And I'm, Thank you. You'll, 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 you'll see me on Cubs Twitter because I've been pulled into it now. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Great. Good to hear. <laughs> hey, have a good evening, Tom. Thank you so much, sir. You too. Tom Pollen, last word on sports, last word on the NFL, all things Chicago. But check him out. He does, I should have asked him about it. He does the Nostra Thomas predictions when he writes a lot of his football articles, gives his thoughts and predictions, a lot of historical articles as well. And he gives you the current news, like Vic Fangio, former Bears defensive coordinator, who is now current Denver Broncos head coach, may be taking some of the Bears assistant coaches with him to form his own staff out there in Denver. Before we wrap it up, TB, Kentucky plays Vanderbilt Saturday. Vanderbilt is 9-4. They come to Rip Arena Saturday night. Um, They are playing Georgia right now in the second half down there, and it is currently uh, 59-53. Georgia is uh, ahead of Vanderbilt. Georgia looking to bounce back from that thrashing they took from Tennessee. Vanderbilt, I think, lost their SEC opener uh, at Ole Miss. So both teams 0-1. If this holds up, Vanderbilt's going to come to Lexington 0-2 in the conference. Uh, Kentucky just needs to whole serve and beat the teams they're supposed to beat, uh, get themselves a 2-1 and one in league play and, and stay on the heels of Tennessee, who is, you know, got to give them credit. They are flexing on everybody right now. Um, that Georgia score is ridiculous. They were at Missouri last night. Missouri was up 10 on them early. Flipped to it again and saw the score, and Tennessee was up like 14 in the blink of an eye, and they went on the win by like 24. So they've won their first two conference games by a combined 70 points. They are the you know the team to beat in the league right now. Experience got all their guys back, physical. You know they got a lot of good things going for them. So Kentucky needs to handle the business against Vanderbilt and just continue to get themselves better as the season progresses. 
Because uh, you got two cracks at Tennessee in the regular season this year, just like you did last year. So uh, worry about Vanderbilt now. And then I think it tells you got Georgia after that, then Auburn. So uh, I'll continue to piece the parts of the process together. I'll be there Saturday night. I'll be live in Rupp Arena for uh, Cameron Mills Radio. Uh, so, you know, there's there's things I'm going to look at that uh, hopefully the Cats can, can do. Uh, consistency. We, we've got to be able to come out and match other teams' energy, which we haven't done a lot. You know, we were able to do that against <laughs> North Carolina, able to get against Louisville, kind of set the, set the pace. We have to – to play our speed and, and Roger Harden, great cat who's on Twitter, who you know we've been interacting with here, who he told us that he listens and is you know, that's pretty cool. But he talks about yeah. great from the point guard position, talking about the you know, the, the tempo of the game and and how coaches and players uh react and, and you know and if Kentucky can push the pace you know, it kind of masks some of the deficiencies they might have in a, uh, a half-court offense. So I'll be looking for them to do just that, push the pace, get out, uh, you know, let their talent shine against Vanderbilt. Uh, I think we all would feel better about those impending Tennessee games if we were able to piece together 40 minutes of, of dominant basketball where you don't let a team into it or back into it and you, and you really, you know, uh, show what you can do. That's what we're looking for if we're a Kentucky fan. Hope we see it against Vanderbilt. That's right. You don't let them back in, you know, like, and Cameron Mills said it. When Kentucky was up 14, you want to get that 14-point lead up to an 18-, 20-point lead. They shaved it down to two. You talk about matching another team's energy. Well, <laughs> Texas A&M comes in and is up 10 to nothing. Uh, and 12 to two, and could have been worse. They had a, a, a run out, and it was just a bad pass. Guy wide open, and, and a dude just made a bad pass. And then they had another guy just go in and, and Cal Perry's talking about, you know, we missed so many one foot shots. They they went in and missed a one foot shot. So it could have been at worst 16 to two last night uh, before Kentucky kind of ramped it up and, and got themselves back in the game. So yeah, look let's. Let's look for a better start against Vandy, like you said, and then 40 full minutes of, of good father basketball Saturday night. I'll be looking to see what you tweet, and, of course, looking forward always to the good stuff you write as well. Yeah, so uh, I'll be live there putting pictures and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, outside of the Duke game, you know, I went to the Louisville game and the – I'm drawing a blank on who else, but, you know, uh, let's keep that winning streak alive. There you go. Absolutely. Man, we had a blast tonight. Appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate Tom Pollock calling in. Appreciate all the knowledge downtown Terry Brown brings to the table. T. Brown underscore 80 on Twitter. <laughs> Follow me at Vinny Hardy. Uh, We'll also be replayed on 12 Ounce Sports Radio tomorrow night and Saturday afternoon. Uh, so, hey, play us tomorrow night if you're a night owl. Play us Saturday afternoon before the game Saturday night if you miss us tonight. Um, Michelle's tweeting in because she's all things Chicago Bears. We worked too hard on the Bears. We kept it real about the Bears. 
We had to talk some double doink with Tom Pollard, and he dropped a lot of knowledge. So appreciate him coming on. So look forward to doing it all again next week, TB, um, and talking about a win over Vanderbilt, which you will witness, and, and all the fun stuff that goes on uh, between now and then. See what my Cowboys do against the Rams. Go watch my Rockets against the Greek Freak and company tonight. So always fun stuff, you know, from a sports standpoint, and we have fun talking about it each and every Wednesday. Absolutely. Thank everybody for listening. Thanks, Tom, for uh, stopping by, and we'll see everybody next week. That's it. Former man Terry T.B. Brown. This is Vinnie Hardy. The next Cat Talk Wednesday. We're on the Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. See y'all next Wednesday. Get us up on Apple Podcasts and all the apps that you missed it tonight. Thanks again. And thanks also to Smoky Mountain Traders. Thank you.